Hey everyone, welcome to the 37th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Gil Reyes. Gil was a longtime strength and conditioning coach for tennis legend Andre Agassi and has worked individually with several world number ones, including Novak Djokovic, Ash Barty, Simona Halep, and Angie Kerber. On today's episode, we discuss how he left an NCAA championship basketball program to work with Andre, what he learned from the world's fastest man, and the benefits of variable resistance. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Gil, welcome to the pod. Coach, it's great to be here with you. Okay, so before we even get started and you start sharing all your knowledge and your wisdom, this isn't really a question. I just want to go on record. I was thinking about it earlier today. I'm confident that you are the coolest person I know. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Coach. I, I, I love hearing that. I appreciate it. And I'll just have to start thinking of ways to be cool. But I, I, I enjoy very much listening to your kind words. Thank you, Coach. So I grew up watching you and became familiar with you because of your work with Andre. And you two were like the coolest duo in tennis and had such a a long career together and so much success. Can you just share with the listener kind of how you got hooked up with Andre in the beginning? Sure. Uh, thank you, Coach. Um, I'm, I live in Las Vegas, and I was coaching at the time at UNLV, and I was the head strength and conditioning coach for our basketball program. And we did well. It was a good program. We did well, had great success. And Andre was born and raised in Las Vegas. And so one day, he just came walking into my gym at UNLV. They're in the basketball arena. And he came walking in and just asked if he could work out or just kind of see what the guys do. And such a nice young man. Now, at the time, I knew literally nothing about tennis. Literally. I was a great canvas for Andre because I knew nothing. So I came into this with no predispositions, no preconceived notions about how I wanted to do this with Andre. Um, I always like saying, if you watch Seinfeld, like George Constanza, when he asked him about his TV show, he goes, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that was my entry into my relationship with Andre's history history-making run was he had a strength and conditioning coach who knew nothing about tennis. And I was immediately impressed, coach, by the questions that he asked. There are people who are geniuses because of what they know. I think you and I along the way in our careers as coaches have also seen people who are geniuses in what they ask and how they ask. Their just minds are programmed in such an intricate way, just so intricate, just detail-oriented way, and that was Andre. Everything was detailed with him. So we, of course, allowed him to come in. He was a very respectful young man, and he would come and watch us train the UNLV Running Rebels basketball team. And interestingly, when he, he was asking me questions of what we did that might relate to a tennis athlete, quickness, acceleration, explosiveness, change of direction quickly, and he was just explaining all of that to me. And I was just Coach, I was amused at a teenager who just literally baffled me with insights on training. Andre was born with a spondylolisthesis, which is an abnormal spacing in the vertebrae, in my layman's understanding. Um, so back issues were always, they were with him, always. He was born with them. So he would ask, if I do this, will that not in some way compromise the, the structural integrity of my vertebrae, my column? And I said, this kid is smart. And yet he was not telling me the answers. He was putting the questions up there for me 
to, I guess, show my mettle as a coach, could I provide the answers specifically to those specific questions? So that's how it started. And before too long, uh, we finished our business at UNLV Basketball in March, March Madness. And a couple of days later, I was on the road. I was on the road in tennis. Uh, and it was just fantastic. Uh, knowing nothing about what I was seeing, I just knew I respected his athleticism. Uh, most people will attest to the fact that he always had such a clean sense of, he was a clean ball striker, a very keen sense of the court geometry, angles. It's fair to say, and I told him then and I say it now, probably the first two months of our coach-player relationship, he did most of the teaching. He just wanted to see if I had options for him to address. And he was like a good stockbroker as well, Coach. He, he, as he explained the game to me, he said, and there's these guys like Boris Becker and Yvonne Lendl, the, the, game is, the game is changing. I don't want to be behind the wave. It's changing. I said, what do you mean? And he talked about the champions at the time who were great champions. They would be champions today because they would figure it out. They would be champions today. Uh, but he said, it's just, tennis is changing. It's going to get bigger and faster. And, of course, as we look around now to the NBA, the level of athleticism in those guys is off the human charts. They're big, they're fast, they're quick, they can run, they can change directions. And that's kind of how he saw his sport evolving. And he said the guys are going to get stronger and they're going to get faster, they're going to get more explosive, and they're going to be better athletes. So right then I knew I was with the right young man because when I resigned from my college coaching position, are you crazy? What are you doing? I said, I'm in tennis. What are you doing in tennis? I said, I have no idea. I said, smart. So I always say people should invite me to their job fairs and their career days to explain you work all your life to get to a certain position. Once you get to quit and do what? Do something you know absolutely nothing about because that's what I did. And needless to say, my contemporaries, the coaches, were said, you are absolutely out of your mind to leave what you're leaving to go into tennis. And yet, I'm the happiest and most blessed man that certainly that I know, Coach. You're starting with Andre, and you don't know anything about the game of tennis. He kind of led you through questions and shared with you kind of what movements were necessary in tennis. But what was the game plan then when you started? How did you, how did you approach your work with him? Was it to get him stronger? Was it to build cardio? How did you, how did you get that whole process started with him? We just, number one, me understanding the fact that he had a spondylolisthesis. You can't take him into a into a, a weight room and begin hoisting the weights. You couldn't because his back was compromised. Uh, many people talk about, starting with Andre, he talks about his, in those days, his dexterity or lack of it through the core because of his lower back. So that was first. I had to, because he said to me, I've tried the other stuff because it hurts. He said, I'm not afraid of the pain. I'm just really not ready to risk my career with injuries, especially my lower back. And he says, when I compromise a certain movement, let's say the squats, and I compromise in order to protect my lower back, am I at risk of hurting my knees or something else by compromising the squatting technique? And that's what I mean. He had brilliant questions. So first thing was safety, come up with things that he could do that were not going to compromise any of the structural concerns that we had. He always has been an athlete, a natural athlete. The hand-eye is off the charts. His quickness was off the charts. But he's the one who told me, the game of tennis is about starting and stopping. Starting and stopping. 
do you have something for me for that? Is leg strength important? Is hip strength important? Core strength important for what I do? And if so, knowing my back concerns, what can you come up with? So there was a daily challenge that the more he questioned me, literally the better coach I became. And so he just made me a better coach. How did you, when he says that tennis is a game of starting and stopping, what are the muscles or what are the drills that you think help contribute to starting quickly and then being able to decelerate quickly? Yes, exactly. And that's the right word. The, the deceleration became key. And he would use, for example, defensive backs in the, in the NFL and college football. Their movements, as they say, break to the ball. He would ask me about that, about, okay, what do the defensive backs do to break to the ball? And as we know, close, man, close. That first step, you're either going to get smoked by that guy, he's going to blow right by you. you got to stay with him. Similarly, of course, in basketball, in, if you're guarding, if you're on defense, if that point guard or anybody is coming at you and they're, they're dribbling the ball like that, they can, they can blow right by you. So he said, I want that kind of quickness. He says, I don't think I have enough of it. What can you do for that? So we did change his routine. And one thing that I'm so happy about, he wanted to talk about movement and speed. So I had an idea of who at the time is the fastest human on earth. And it was Carl Lewis. And the second fastest human on earth at the time was Leroy Morrell, both training together at the University of Houston under coach Tom Telez. So I said, I've been thinking, Andre, we want to work on movement, right? I got an idea. Let's go to Houston to train with the two fastest humans on earth. Coach, that was for us, I think, a breakthrough in our relationship, in our training, actual structures and programs, because we learned efficiency and Carl looked right, looked right at me and said, when it comes down to your athlete, as a coach, you have to ask you to accept your question. Are you building him up or beating him up? Careful, because they look the same. And I go, wow. We all like to take our athletes and put them in, just put, just chop wood, man. We just like to put them on it and just let's go. But we have to be careful because anymore, it's the arms race, right? Well, if these guys are doing so much, we're not going to let them outwork us and we'll do more. At some point, we hit that wall. And that's what I learned. I have to say, interestingly, a few weeks after our time with Carl Lewis, Andre wins Wimbledon, and that was our first slam. That was the first slam that he had won. Efficiency was my training program for Andre, something that I've always done. So it was cool, and I was familiar with it, so that's what we're going to do. Something that the Running Rebels basketball team did that was very successful. It didn't matter to him. He wasn't interested. What can you conceptualize and design for me? And so that taught us efficiency, overtraining, the concept of overtraining, energy, energy versus, and I'm, I certainly don't want to indict or blast anybody. We, as athletes, you and I have seen them. There are so many methods of, let's say, pre-match meals, what the pre-game schedule looks like, what the format is. What, are, what do you do to prepare? And we changed ours because all of a sudden, I'll give you an example. I had never before had to con uh, conceive anything in a program based on ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is literally our energy. It's our energy molecules in the cell. ATP is energy. Would we have to look in any way away from the pastas, which pasta is proven, carbohydrate. We understood the difference between energy and nutrition. There's some really good nutrition to be found in a salad but that might not be the most 
high octane pre-match, pre-game meal, right? So he just kind of put it on me to find it. Let's go find it. What do, what do you think it is? And he said, we'll talk about it at the end of the week. And let's see what, what we come up with. I loved it, coach. That's how everything came to play. Our training. When you see me, he would say to me, when you see me at training on the tennis court, and I'm there for two hours, in your mind, are you picturing another two hours for me in the gym? I'm not afraid to work hard. I just need to understand what we're doing, how to do it, but most importantly, why. That's great. I might be, it's been a while since I, I spent time with you. I do remember you telling me about Carl. And one of the things, one of the things about that trip with Carl that I seem to remember, and I know you'll be able to maybe clarify this better than I'm about to explain it, but he kind of said he was watching, you said Carl was watching you guys work out and you said, oh, okay, he plays tennis. And then he goes and he runs the sprints or anything. And, and he, Carl kind of said, well, why do you need to run sprints if you've already practiced? Can you kind of explain what he was delivering at that time? The efficiency. In my estimation, in those days, of course, he was Usain Bolt before Usain Bolt. So we learned what he did for efficiency. Don't overdo anything. It's going to be a long career. If he's going to go run afterwards, and he said it right in front of Andre, Carl Lewis would say, why? I loved it because that's Andre. Andre, I don't know why. And I love that. Why am I doing that? And I can say this about Andre. Once he understood why, and he saw it as it applied to him, you never had to tell him again. He's going to knock the doors down to do it. Coach, we have our tenants as coaches. We have our tenants, Andre and I, in, in our pursuits. Inspiration, information, application. All three to present to our athletes. Inspiration is, do you even care about being here in this program? If not, how can we get you to? I, it's not possible for the coach to care. You shouldn't care more than the athlete does. We then are just the vehicles. Even the word itself, coach. The great Paul Lovers with the USDI learned this from is so great. It's not about us. It's about the athletes. We're a coach, a vessel, a vehicle on which and by which the athlete reaches his or her destination. If we don't know our players closely, we're guessing. If we train all of our athletes the same, and they're not the same, if we coach them all the same, we're pretty much guaranteed to be 50% wrong 100% of the time. They're not the same. So I had to learn from Andre what gets him, what gets him going. So that was the inspiration part. Next is information. Is what I am telling you provable? Can I, what I suggest to you, is there any science, any research that can in any way corroborate what you're, what you're telling me, what you're teaching me? Then comes the application. So what? What does that mean to me? So Andre would break down once I started learning. In the first few tournaments, literally, it sounds absurd, Andre's brother, Philip, uh, would always be sitting next to me during Andre's matches, and I would ask him, what's going on? Is that good or bad? I had never seen a tennis match before. So I learned it because Andre was, for example, how many times do you start and stop, let's say on a hard court, per point? Serve, forehand, forehand, back. Five, six, eight times. That's simple. Five, six, eight times per point. Not even a long point, as you know. Okay? How many points in a game? How many games in a set? How many sets in a match? So if you're in a five-setter, let's say on clay, where the points are longer, you are going to stop and start 
hundreds, if not a thousand or two times, right? In a three-set match, 500 starts and stops is very common. You go on clay and go five sets, you're going to be somewhere around a thousand, maybe more times, that you've started and stopped. And he would say to me, just explain to me, am I right or wrong? When I do this running, you're having me run two miles after practice. How many times do I start? How many times do I stop? <laughs> you have to hand it to him. That's a great question. And then he would say to me, if I can push myself where I'm tennis ready, cardio ready, I'm breathing hard. And he said, by the way, I don't know if you know it, but what we get after every point, we get like 25 or 30 seconds between each point. He said, my cardio has to be more anaerobic. I get it. I'll do the aerobic. I love it. I'll, I'll do it. But please, let's not exclude my anaerobic. If you feel it's important to get this as a base, I'm all in. Uh, what I want to know is what I'm feeling three all in the fifth set. Start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. So those questions literally forced me in. I said, no problem. We'll take care of that tomorrow. And I would come home and open up books. Just start, just start reading. What does it tell us about that? I would recommend to every coach, if you want to improve as a coach, coach a genius. Coach a genius who's going to ask you a question because he's going to put you to the test. But keep in mind, I've never met a, most, a more respectful athlete than Andre. So respectful. Uh, it's no secret. I, when you mention our relationship, I love that boy. He's a great man. To me, I'm so much older than him. That's, that's my boy there. That's my boy. He was for real. He was serious about this. this. These Grand Slam trophies were not a notion. They were not a nuance. They were not some fantasy. That was his goal. So I couldn't, I had no choice to either step up or step out. This isn't recorded, but there are multiple Grand Slam trophies behind you and you're in your gym right now and I can see the equipment and I remember being there and the equipment was specially designed. Can you kind of explain the workings of all the different machines and the common concept that your machines kind of, what they do for your athletes specifically that other gyms really don't have? I'm glad you remember. Thank you for remembering. They are unique. And I say that in the sense that they were, I did not come up, engineers, if you saw the, the craftsmanship, engineers did not develop these. Andre did. So this equipment, Andre started telling me what he needed to feel out there. He said, I'm not a weightlifter and I don't want to be. I'm an athlete who just needs to run faster and move better. So the trip to Houston with Carl Lewis and Leroy Burrell and Coach Telez, it bore so much fruit on all counts because now I knew, now I knew it's time. Develop something. So on the flight on the way back, Andre said, what is, what is our takeaway? I said, no, we're going we're to have some really cool equipment for you. He says, from where? And I said, well, we're going to make it. He says, do you know how to do that? I said, I have no idea. No, I don't, but we'll figure it out. And as you may recall, in my gym here, right next door is my shop. So I would begin the basic frame of skeleton of a machine, and I would have them come in and try it out and say, what do you think? Um, I like how this isolates yeah, on my glutes. I want lateral acceleration. How about up inside the adductors? Because on my service return, when you get low, I want to be able to accelerate. So he would literally break down his movements. And then he would leave it up to me to just kind of come up with designs that would facilitate that. So, of course, the, the designs themselves were extremely clumsy at the start. Very clumsy because I was not an engineer. I just listened to him. 
And by now, we've got a pretty nice, pretty nice setup in here because we were able to then integrate some actual engineering. Engineers come in and say, okay, yeah, I can see what you're trying to do. Let's do it this way. And I said, you can't in any way disrupt the integrity of the movement of the machines. He has machines specifically for the iliosolus, which we know is right here, the hip flexors, to actually lift your knees up. Adductors, abductors for lateral acceleration. Glutes, of course. There's so much knowledge now that I've learned, especially starting with forces into the ground. Andre said, I'm starting to get the impression that I shouldn't run on my toes lightly, because that's how we were all taught. And every sprinter that I asked, they just kind of shook their head and said, no, you're, you're the opposite. Forces into the ground, drive into the ground, and that's what literally launches that leg up with a high knee. High knees, there's more propulsion into the ground, more propulsion into the ground, the more your knees, let's say, figuratively bounce back up. So we have machines for that. We have a machine called the FIG, forces into the ground. We have abductors, adductors, iliosolas. So it's a nice little, the circuit itself is called Speedway, and it's a circuit of machines where they come in. That particular athlete may not feel at all like lifting weights that day. Some days they just want to work, as they say, it's movement. Hips, glutes, lower back, sacrum, QL, quadratus laborum. I want to isolate on that because that's my core area. I want to work my quads, hamstrings, calves, ankles. So that is the premise and the tenet for all the equipment in here. All of that has Andre Agassi written all over it. Because then we've had some, of course, we've got Novak come in here. We've, we've been blessed um, with Naomi Osaka, Ash Barty, uh, Simona Hollip, Angie Kerber. I mentioned those because all of those were number one in the world at one point, right? And people ask me, what do you teach them? And I said, it's not what I teach them. I don't teach them anything. It's what I learned from them. What is important to them? And they're all different. Once we kind of harness in, then our coaching kicks in. Because then we can somehow or other with our experience and our knowledge and information that's out there, we can design programs that, once again, inspiration, information, application. How does that apply to me? And once you do that, just, just kind of sit back and keep learning and they'll, they're with you. They, they know your the program is about them and not you and you get the best of them that way. I remember so much from our time together and one of the things you told me that Andre had asked you and I specifically related to it because I felt the same thing is you said, well, why is it that when I squat and I'm working on my quads that my back hurts? And, and I remember that, and you kind of explained to me that a lot of the equipment you have, some of them are very unique movements, some of them are somewhat traditional movements, but it was designed to keep, when you were at your most vulnerable, to make it safest for you, and when your body was in its strongest position is when you could load the weight. Is that about, am I remembering in that? In essence, that is variable resistance. Yes, variable resistance, which I was so blessed that you and I esteem him so highly, Dr. Mark Kovacs. I asked him to come and visit and just guide me through that. There are points, sticking points, and then the points at which we are most vulnerable in movement. Once again, understanding gravity, that when we load up a free weight, I love them. I grew up on free weights. I love them. I have them in here. But then we needed to understand, okay, is there a point of compromise? And beyond a sticking point where every tennis coach barks out to his or her athletes, bend your knees, bend your knees, bend your knees. And we ask them to do that with weights. And that's true. You're going to get strong. That's for sure. You're getting stronger legs. It appears by now. By the way, this is my 50th year coaching. I started in 1973. 
50 years of coaching. And so when my athletes, I just had a group of athletes leave a few moments ago, we talk about that. They ask me about that and I say, there's just so much more to learn now. We know so much more that I have to get with it. I have to really dispense or, let's say, get rid of my old predisposition and realize that there's new information now, new knowledge. So every now and then we're going to encounter either a preference or a structural or medical condition that must be addressed to which we must defer and somehow or other adjust. We have to adjust to the fact that even when he bent over to return serve, if you look back at some of some of the, the, his videos, he couldn't because his back was stiff. It was structured a certain way. So we had to make his legs even stronger to where he couldn't bend. The legs would say, I got this. I got this. I got you covered. We'll go from here. So we did incorporate the variable resistance 100% primarily for Andre. Since then, the athletes that we've had come in here, they said, you know what, that actually feels pretty good. I'll, I'll do those as well. I'll do those instead of this. And they like it. We look now, the game indeed is bigger, faster. Therefore, I think we are, I think we serve our athletes well if we really somehow or other enhance their explosiveness, which requires, dare we say, ballistic or violent movement. Bam! When they're out there anymore, you see so many drop shots in tennis now. And I'm not sure why it's out there, but it is. You're on the baseline, and that rascal across the net disguises, disguises, and gives you that. you got to get there. So what is it? It's a, it's a sprinter start without the blocks. Boom. And that first step is usually going to tell. Tennis experts like yourself, if you're watching the, uh, the match on TV, you can know by the first step or second, he's not going to get there. He's no way he's not going to get there. Or, uh-oh, uh-oh, he's got this. Boom, that first step. So we train that way, but we have to incorporate or certainly inventory how much trauma we are imposing on that athlete in preparing him or her for that explosiveness. So I've started adjustments already. They're very ballistic movement. We're fortunate that we have many sprinters that come in here, so we learn about that. We learn the first what is important for that first step. Hip thrusts are very popular now. They did a study in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's in the place that they did the research called the Laboratory for Morpho-Quantitative Studies in Sao Paulo, Brazil, with their athletes. What could they come up with? And they published a study that hip thrusts are probably the best thing you can do for explosiveness. Wow, really? Why? Well, you have, of course, hip flexors in front, hip extensors behind, right? The glutes and the hip extensors are the lower back behind you, up into the area called the QL, quadratus lumborum. Yeah, train those. And so hip thrusts are good for the glutes, the lower back, and it works the iliopsoas as well. So that movement is very popular, understandably so. But if you've seen them, I always tell my athletes, be careful with that. It's important for your first step, but you're bridging your lower back with a weight, a weighted bar across your lap. You said it right here in the pelvic area. Guys being athletes being athletes are going to push themselves. So the science that's out there really arms us better. It prepares us better to compete in the arms race that's out there right now. And our sport is now more athletic. It just is. Up and down the, the rankings, you got some really good athletes out there, men and the women. Are, are you good in the fifth set, three all, and your heart is talking to you, your calves are talking to you, your quads are talking to you, are you good? 
How can someone at home, a competitive player, a coach, when we talk about variable resistance, unfortunately, not everyone's going to be able to visit your gym. So what are some ways that they can have that variable resistance at their home gym or in their home or, or wherever they go? Is there a way to, to simulate that? You know what's interesting? That's a great question, coaches. I, and I'm so willing to discuss it with the coaches that we have to visit here. A, a beautiful system of variable resistance is the bands. Their bands are so popular. The downside, of course, is the weight resistance is very limited. The concept of the band, what does that mean? I wear a rubber band on my wrist. I have since 1968. Isn't that crazy? So we were on an airplane coming back from Australia, and I was kind of pulling and snapping on my rubber band. I said, that's interesting. If I just pull it back a little, I'm getting like a pound of pop. If I pull it a little more, I'm getting five pounds of pop. If I pull it even more, I'm getting 10 pounds of pop. That's interesting. So my first method, my, my, my precursor to the equipment system that we ended up with was a bungee cord, which now it's laughable because that's not really as good as most uh, of the bands that we use, exercise bands. Most of them are surgical latex tubing, which is fantastic. The, Exercise band companies have even been more sophisticated with a product where you can get some good ones. I'll give you an example. If you're just pulling, let's say a pull, let alone anything you might be doing with your hips, your legs, abs, anything. If you stand, let's say you anchor it at the underneath a door. Make sure it's anchored because you're going to pull on it. You're, let's say, three feet away. You might get five pounds of resistance. Just back up a little. Wow, I just got ten pounds of resistance. Back up a little more. Wow, I just got 20. Yes, those bands are beautiful. My biggest sadness in using the bands is it's very limited how much weight you can get. Can you get some good out of them? Absolutely. Then a person can get very creative and resourceful. They start, we've had people I suggested, take two bands together and braid them. That really increases the strength of it. It makes it stronger as well, of course, but it makes it harder to pull. We're going to finish up with, these are some questions from people that follow me on Instagram. And one of these is, it's, I don't know how this person knows this actually, but it's one of my favorite things you ever told me in the group that we were with. You said that you and Andre used to have a saying that weak legs command, strong legs obey. Can you explain what that phrase means? When we watch a television match and we hear the commentator, which of course they're all tennis experts, but the comment is made, he's tired or she's tired, you realize that it's not so much the lungs are tired, but research shows us, and there's some research out there currently that for the WTA, they did some research that the average point is under seven seconds long, right? Some of the research, and I know that varies all over the place. So you're going to have time to recover. You're going to be tired, but you have time to recover. When the legs go, you're, you're done. So the example of when Andre and I started doing that is the legs are gone. You're going to try to bail out of the point every chance you get. No, that's, that's the ball's too deep. No, don't go for the winner. It's too deep. You're in, you're not in a good court position, but the legs are gone, man. Boom. And here I come. (laughs) Or I'm going to go for the winner from five feet behind the baseline because my legs are tired. The only person getting more tired than you is the line judge. Out, out, out because you're now. You're not playing the game. You're just trying to get through because the legs are gone. So weak legs command you to quit. 
Weak legs command you to make really bad tactical decisions out there. Weak legs command you to make technical decisions. You stop bending your knees because the legs are just shot. Strong legs obey. What do you mean? No, if we're going to go 14 or 18 balls on this point, so be it. Boom, boom, boom. Strong legs say, nope. Well, let's wait for that short reply. Let's wait for a short reply so we can come in and put it away. We're not going to put it away from back here. So weak legs command you to make poor decisions out there. Strong legs obey. They just say, whenever you're ready, boss, we're good to go. We're just, you good down there? We're good, man. Just keep, let's go. Keep going. Keep going. We're going to win this thing. And then when it's time to, to move, you move. So that's, and we lived by that for so long. When Andre would say to me, I need to know my legs are there. We had some, obviously, great moments. Uh, Roland Garros is one. We're in the finals. We're down two sets to none. And just, he just, we believed. But he wasn't done. He just had to make some adjustments. And, and he did. We had a, fortunately, we had a little rain delay that allowed him to just kind of say, okay, I got this now. I got it figured out. Uh, so the legs have to be there because you are tired. But by all accounts, and science, and I ask everybody, including our friend Dr. Mark Kovacs, science tells us, okay, your recovery, if you're in good cardiovascular conditioning, your recovery will be, off, will be fine. When the legs are shot, that's pretty tough. I remember you telling me that uh, one year before, I believe Andre won Wimbledon, you were in Vegas training. There's altitude there. You were on a hard court, not even a grass court. And I think you said he was just ripping balls like five feet behind the baseline, like just a just a horrendous practice. And I think it was with Kate. He might have been with Brad or, or maybe it was Cahill, but you, he was kind of like, hey, do you want more balls? And Andre was kind of like, no, my legs feel strong. My mind feels fresh. And by the way, like, is this the ball I'm going to be using in Wimbledon? Is this the surface? Is this the temperature? I'm not playing the same opponent. And the confidence that he had from having strong legs and a strong mind was all he needed to feel good. And we're in the hard court. <laughs> He's about to go play Wimbledon. We're in the hard court. So many times, once again, it never approached overconfidence. He would make it so simple to me. If you study in school, you study for the test, you know that you're ready. You know the answers. I've studied. Give me the test. I study. When you're ready, when his legs were ready, he said, let's go. Let's play. When's my first match? What time do I start? I'm ready. No assurance was going to be the outcome. We just know we're ready for whatever comes. We're ready. So that was his assurance. Yeah, nothing's going to be the same. Time of day, flight of the ball, altitude, nothing's going to be the same other than the legs are ready here. They're going to be ready there. For an amateur player out there listening and they want to start getting stronger, start accelerating, decelerating quicker, how many days a week should – I know it's a tough question because everyone's body is different. You've mentioned the individual, but – is there a good blueprint for two times a week or three times a week? How, how many times should they get going when they're starting a process like this? If they're just starting, I would say, and once again, just a very general response would be three times a week. That's the introduction. Introduction to your muscular system, your recovery system. More importantly, the ligaments and tendons, the joints themselves. Here we come. So you can they can understand what you're asking them to do. You understand your joints. Am I really sore after this workout? Are my joints aching? Are my joints aching more than my muscles? Are my muscles feeling really good and, let's say, sore? But my joints, all of that, you got to take your own inventory. So three days a week is good. It's a good, ambitious, conservative, careful start. 
anymore when we look at it as tennis coaches. And I've, I've been on that discussion on both sides of that discussion. You know, tennis coaches practice their athletes at least six days a week, oftentimes seven, sometimes twice a day. They play tennis. Probably with Andre, he might have had, when it was a full year, would you say maybe two to three weeks a year when you're not tennis training? Because if you're either preseason or in season, there's no such thing as off, off season should be preseason because now you're getting ready for the next year. So it's okay to go hard. Just if you're out there on the court running, practicing, and of course you're hitting, you don't want to do too, you want to introduce that because that's your way of getting better. You're as fast as probably as you're going to get at a certain age without doing something else. Sprinters, and I've heard this directly from the sprinters, because I asked them, why is weightlifting so important to you guys? The sprinters say to me, we don't kick a ball, we don't throw a ball, we don't catch a ball, we don't hit a ball, and we're in the weight room more than you guys. And if you know sprinters, they are. Sprinters train hard, and they're into their lifting. Sprinters are into that. You look at the physiques on these guys and, and young ladies. That much can make that much difference in them, explosiveness. And when people do ask me, Coach, when they say, well, yeah, but isn't lifting weights and getting strong that will make you slow? My response is, have you been to a track meet? Have you seen the physiques on these sprinters, men and women? They're just physiques are amazing. Yeah, but if you lift weights and get too strong, you get stiff and you're not flexible anymore. Have you been to a gymnastics meet? Have you seen the physiques of those guys that do the iron cross or the uneven parallel bars or the pommel horse? The physiques are insane. So the very muscular people are amongst the fastest. Very muscular people are amongst the most flexible. So that's when we start saying, okay, let's dispel what might have prevailed in, in previous years and let's apply now what we can gain from the weight training to my sport and find a way to make yourself better because of it. And last question, you mentioned all the world number ones who have you know worked with you, come across your gym, Novak, Andre, Verdasco, Kerber, Halep, all these great players. Was there a common mentality or a common thread that you saw? They're all individuals, but they were all great champions. So was there a common thread that you noticed amongst all those great athletes? Body types could not be more different. Personalities could not be more different. Their basic dispositions could not be more different. The mentality was identical. So focused, so clear. So all of them, of course, Naomi Osaka, and of course, Angie Kerber, and Simona Holland, and of course, Novak, and of course, Andre. I can get, I speak for Andre, and this not for him, but of him, with the greatest regard for focus, focus, clarity. My state of mind is, I'm going to do this. And they all have had their own way of doing things, their own personalities, their own demeanors. But each one of them looked you right in the eye and wanted to know, why are we doing this? Not not in a horrible way, not in a, a way of indifference or lack of enthusiasm. No, I'm just well on and up. And once, once you told them, you never had to tell them again. And in fact, Ash Barty became a really cool story when she won the Australian Open the previous year, last year, of course. And she was, she had one more in her. She has a, she wrote on my wall here, behind the TV. I allowed her to. She took a, a pen and wrote up there, one more, Ash Barty. It's up there. Because she said, whenever she feels she's done, 
she needs to remind herself, I got one more. Gil, I, I'm, I'll tell you, like, this hour has been great for me. Like, I've, I've learned, you've told me a lot of things that I remember you telling me from summers ago. I already learned a couple new things, but those three summers that I spent with you, those two or three weeks, were some of my favorite weeks of my life. I mean, not only did we have fun, I learned a lot, but, but you are the greatest, and, and thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you, Coach. I look forward to cat, uh, staying in touch with you. All right, I want to thank Gil for coming on the show today. He is such an incredible man, and he has a unique ability to connect with people. I would take three of the best American college players each summer to work with him, and by the end of the three weeks, those guys would run through a wall for him. In between his stories, he gave a lot of great nuggets for improving your physicality on the court. Tennis is a sport of starting and stopping, so make sure that when you work on your agility and speed, you're incorporating that into your workouts. And he has one of my favorite sayings of all time, weak legs command, strong legs obey. I watch players check out of points all the time because they're getting tired and they don't even know it. They start slapping down the line. They're trying drop shots from behind the baseline and just demonstrating an overall low tennis IQ because of their fatigue. If you work on your physique, not only will you get faster and stronger, but your on-court decision-making will improve drastically. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we can keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.